the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. Thank you for your loyalty and for your support, and thank you for tuning in to this new episode of Healthcare Unfiltered, where we tackle all things COVID-19 vaccines. There are three vaccines currently available in the United States for emergency use authorization. One is made by Moderna, second is made by Pfizer, and the third is made by Johnson & Johnson. There are other vaccines outside of the United States from China, Russia, AstraZeneca, and so forth. But there are many questions that surface and circulate all over pertaining to vaccines, efficacy, toxicity, adverse events. Should we take them? Should we not take them? Who should take them? Who should not take them? What do we do? What do we not do? And you know, at the end of the day, our job at Healthcare Unfiltered is to simplify life for you and to answer questions, even questions that you did not think about asking. That's how we do it at Healthcare Unfiltered. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to all things COVID-19 vaccinations. And for this, I have invited Dr. Priya Sampath Kumar to join me on this podcast. She will introduce herself in a little bit, but she did visit with me on a prior podcast when I hosted the Outspoken Oncology. And when we talk about when we talked about PPE, the CDC, and the whole debacle that we were facing at that time, it was frankly one of the most listened to podcast episodes that I have done. So I've asked Dr. Sampath Kumar to join me on today's podcast to talk all things COVID-19 vaccines. Before I air the episode that I taped on this topic with Dr. Sampath Kumar, I would like to plug the podcast by asking you to find us on all podcast outlets. The Healthcare Unfiltered is available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, everywhere you consume podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and refer a friend or a colleague. For that, I will be forever grateful. And on to this special episode of Healthcare Unfiltered on COVID-19 Vaccines. Well, she's back. Dr. Priya Sampath Kumar is with us from the Mayo Clinic on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. We are taping this episode for context on the first day of March 2021. And we are going to talk about everything COVID-19 vaccines, about the different vaccines, the data, the myths, all of these questions that just circulate and really try to get into Dr. Sampath Kumar's opinion into why folks are a little bit skeptical. Maybe some skepticism is okay. There's some always healthy dose of skepticism. It's okay. We are as um, as general public and clinicians, it's okay to be skeptical. But um, I want to talk about everything COVID-19 vaccine. Well, Priya, welcome back to the show. We appreciate your time, but we just want to start with introduction into who you are, where you work, and what you do, and how heavily involved 
are you right now into the day-to-day vaccination efforts? Anything like how close are you to what's going on with the COVID-19 vaccines? So I'm an infectious disease physician. I've, uh, I work at the Mayo Clinic, which is in Rochester, Minnesota, and um, I am the chair of infection control. And I also chair the uh, vaccine committee at Mayo. So I've been involved with the uh, vaccine efforts, the, vac- the COVID vaccine efforts, is, it takes a village. So we have a huge team on the ground uh, to vaccinate both our staff and our patients. And we have administered over 60,000 vaccines vaccines to date. Uh, So we're in the thick of things. So when this pandemic started in March 2020, I think somewhere around there, like maybe February, March, I I will say, personally, I never thought that we would be talking vaccination in less than a year. I mean, I'll admit, uh, you know, we obviously had lots of issues, I think, in the rollout of the vaccines, but it was a good problem to have because we had the vaccines. Did you, if you go back, did you ever think we'll have even vaccines in, in such a short period of time? Is this kind of normal? Like, what, what, were you expecting this? No, I was also skeptical, just like you were, that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. And, you know, we really did have a vaccine about nine months after we started seeing cases in the U.S., so about about 11 months after the start of the pandemic in China. So we are very, very fortunate. And a lot of people ask me, so if did the vaccines get rushed through? Are the vaccines really safe? How could we possibly have a vaccine in just a few months? And there's a lot of reasons for it. And um, I'd like to go into them if you um, have a please, please. That. So the one thing that was different about uh, this pandemic was that it was worldwide and that there was a lot of international cooperation to make the genome of the virus available within a few days of its being it being recognized as a coronavirus. So we had the advantage of international cooperation, labs around the world collaborating on, on the first preclinical uh, steps that needed to happen to uh, identify targets for the vaccine. The uh, next uh, thing that sort of helped with creating a vaccine quickly was the fact that we had dealt with SARS-CoV-1, we had dealt with MERS, and there was already a lot of work into understanding um, uh, coronavirus uh, uh, biology and identifying targets that would serve as the uh, antigenic basis for vaccines. So a lot of the prelim work had already happened, and we could just build on that versus starting from from scratch. And then the first vaccines that uh, came out were mRNA vaccines, and mRNA uh, uh, technology has been worked on for the last 10 years. And um, mRNA can be manufactured very quickly, unlike with inactivated vaccines, you have to grow the vaccine and then kill the virus, grow the virus and then kill the virus, uh, which can take a very long time. Here, the mRNA uh, enabled us to create the genes for the target proteins very, very quickly and uh, uh, scale up quickly. So we were able to create the vaccine. And then unfortunately, we were really in the midst of a huge pandemic. So there were lots and lots and lots of cases. So people were interested in volunteering for the vaccine trials. And it was very easy to get to the endpoints because there were so many 
cases and so many deaths from the virus. So the phase uh, three trials were completed in record time because of that. And then because again, the, the pandemic was so huge and impacting us all over the world, a lot of different governments were f uh, underwriting the vaccine and buying vaccine doses before the trials had even been completed. So the vaccine manufacturers, while doing the trials, they could also manufacture vaccine because they, they didn't have that financial risk. Normally after FDA approval, it takes months to years to create to have enough vaccine. If you remember with Shingrix, there was a lot of demand for vaccine that wasn't met for almost two years because you know the vaccine manufacturers were taking their time making doses. Here, the financial risk was eliminated by government funding so they could manufacture and literally ship vaccine one or two days after the uh, FDA approval. So for all of these reasons, um, the vaccines came to market very, very quickly. And we were, you know, we had some early missteps in just getting the vaccine into people's arms. But now we're doing great vaccinating a million people a day across the country. So I think things have um, really come together nicely. And truly, one year ago, I did not think we would be here. So it's a good problem to have when we talk about you know, which vaccine and how we get the vaccines, at least it's a good problem to have. Uh, and hopefully we will minimize that problem. But um, there are, I don't know, I mean, today is March 2021. How many vaccines do we have? We have the Moderna, Pfizer, J&J &J just got approved. Uh, I don't know. Well, first of all, we, we it's not all approved. It's all EUA, right? All of them are emergency so, use. Yeah. So in the US, we have three vaccines that have the emergency use approval. Uh, the Pfizer and the uh, Moderna, which are mRNA vaccines, and just yesterday, the J&J uh, &J vaccine, which is a uh, viral ve vector vaccine, and it's a one-dose vaccine, which is also uh, really good news for um, vaccine efforts. And then uh, what about the AstraZeneca? I heard about the AstraZeneca. The AstraZeneca has not applied for EUA in the US, so it hasn't been approved by the FDA, but it has been approved in the EU, in the UK, in uh, India, in uh, several other parts of Asia. And then the Sputnik vaccine, has also had a phase three trial. It's the Russian vaccine, which is also a viral vector vaccine. And that has received the EUA from the Russian government. That was a little controversial because they approved it before the phase three trial, but now the phase three trial results have been published and it also looks like it's very effective. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk about each one uh, like briefly, but then also there's, is there a Chinese vaccine as well? There is a Chinese vaccine. The same um, thing was it was approved before the phase three trial. So these five vaccines have published peer reviewed um, or at least the regulatory data on the phase three trials is public. Uh, the uh, Chinese vaccine, we don't have results. Uh, they claim that it is effective, but the results aren't available to the public. So the Chinese vaccine, we don't know if it's mRNA or DNA. It's a inactivated vaccine. Inactivated vaccine. It's another inactivated vaccine that is being administered in India also has not had a phase three trial. It's in the phase three trial, but they're giving it to. And that's uh, who's manufacturing that, the Indian vaccine? It's manufactured in India by Bharat Biotech, an in Indian company. Okay. 
And th these are not public, so we don't have information to even look at in terms of the effectiveness, toxicity. The phase two trial data was very promising for the um, co-vaccine, the Indian vaccine, which is an inactivated vaccine. But the phase three study is still underway, so okay. we don't know yet. And but it has been you know, given the EUA approval in India. Is there a phase two for the Chinese vaccine that we even know or not really? No, for the phase one trials were released. Okay, and then when we say like EUA, EUA because there's no phase three trial, but once the phase three trial, then the then there's a full approval. So the the all of these uh, EUAs were issued after the phase three trials. So the phase three trials were large, uh, and um, you know they involve thousands of patients. So we have good robust data from them. Uh, because typically the FDA takes months to review the data before they give full approval. These were given EUA because the emergency use approval because the review was shortened. They had two, only two weeks to review the material in all of these vaccines in the U.S. Okay, so we expect, I mean, you know, at least in the U.S. we'll get some appro full approvals at some point, barring some unusual circumstances. Right. So let's start with the Moderna vaccine. What, what what should the general public listeners know about the Moderna vaccine? So really, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are very, very similar. They use the same platform. What they are is messenger RNA or mRNA, which is a portion of the uh, genome of the uh, coronavirus that makes, it doesn't make the entire virus, it just makes the spike protein. The spike protein is this protein that's on the surface of the virus. It's a sticking out piece, which, you know, as the name implies, the spike. And this spike attaches to cells in our respiratory tract, and that's how it gets into our system. What the, uh, vac what the vaccine does is it has the mRNA, the portion that encodes for, for the spike protein. It's enclosed in, it, mRNA is very unstable, so it's wrapped up in some fatty molecules, and this is injected into you as the vaccine. Once it enters uh, a human cell, in the cell, the, uh, the, the fatty coating unwraps, the mRNA then uh, stimulates the cell to make the spike protein. The spike protein then comes out of the cell and your immune system is triggered to recognize it and fight it off. So when the coronavirus gets into our system because we're exposed to the, the virus, the uh, body recognizes it as the spike protein um, and it destroys the uh, coronavirus. That's how it works in simple terms. And a lot of people talk about, well, is it alter altering my uh, genetic material? It never enters the cell. It stays in the uh, it enters the cell, it never enters the nucleus, it stays in the cytoplasm and just makes this protein. And then the mRNA is very short-lived in a matter of hours, it just degrades. So your body just retains the memory of the spike protein and learns to react to it. And then, you know, we hear this, these numbers that it's 95% effective and so forth. Does this mean you know, so I know nothing about medicine. When I hear 95% effective, I'm thinking 5%, it doesn't work, 95%, it works. How, how, do we, how do we interpret the efficacy results when we hear 95%? What does that mean? 
Yeah, so the results were actually pretty amazing. 95% for a vaccine is very, very good. So all comers who got the vaccine compared to those who got the placebo or the inactive product, uh, there was a 95% reduction in cases of coronavirus in this population. And really they were looking for symptomatic cases. So it could be mild, moderate, severe. All cases were reduced by 95%. So if 100 people got the vaccine, 95% of them were protected, 5% got infection. And then when you analyze that data further, um, the number of people who they, each of these trials defined severe illness differently. So we were not, you can't really compare one trial to another, except that all of them showed uh, even better protection against severe infection and close to 100% protection against death. So it really reduced the risk that you would die if you were exposed to coronavirus once you were vaccinated. So the 5% who were not protected and got infected, the infection was not severe. Exactly. So at least if, if we're telling the general public, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, if you take the vaccine, the chances of dying from the COVID-19 is almost Close. non-existent. Close to zero. If you happen to be you know, have similar characteristics as the study population. So let's talk about that. So you can't extrapolate the 95% to the entire world's population because they selected people for the study. They did try to get a good mix of age. So they studied people over the age of 16 for the Pfizer vaccine and over the age of 18 for the Moderna vaccine. They tried to include older people as much as they could. But the one population they excluded from the, the well, two populations that they excluded from the trial was those that were severely immunosuppressed and pregnant women. So we really have no data on how well the vaccine works in those two populations. For pregnant women, their immune systems aren't really very different from normal people or non-pregnant, I shouldn't say normal, non-pregnant women. So we think the vaccine will be just as effective in them. In immunosuppressed people, because we didn't really study it, and immunosuppression, as you know, is such a wide range, we're not quite sure if you'll have that 95% protection. It's probably going to be less, but we don't know how much less in that group. But it did work in older people. It did work well in people who were obese. It did work well in people with diabetes, people with hypertension. But that's why we recommend it's okay for cancer patients, for patients with cancer or other patients with immunocompromised state to get the vaccine. It may not be 95% effective, but at least there's, it's not zero. There's some effectiveness. Exactly. But I think the concern becomes then adverse events. I mean, obviously from side effects and adverse events, the elderly patients, older patients, or patients with immunocompromised state become more concerned about the adverse events. What can you tell us about the adverse events for Moderna and Pfizer? So first of all, both of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are inactivated vaccines. So immunosuppressed patients don't have to worry about, you know, a live vaccine potentially getting COVID from the vaccines. That is, you know, something everyone should understand. As far as side effects go, the vaccine seems to cause the most side effects in young, healthy people. So the younger you are, the more robust your immune system, the more- Good, I'll have no problem. Okay, great. I'm not well, young. I'm 
fortunately, I, I didn't have much side effects either. So that tells you something. But the side effects are, you know, fatigue, muscle aches and pains. And a lot of healthcare workers are very young. And I've been hearing from staff at my hospital that they were knocked down for a couple of days with severe fatigue. The side effects are short-lived. In a couple of days, they resolve completely. So uh, that's what we know so far. And with this, because they're both two-dose vaccines, people who get the, uh, people do have a little bit more uh, of the side effects with the second dose. And similarly, people who've already had COVID and recovered from it also seem to have more of the side effects than otherwise. And, it, you know, I, I warn people to expect it, but I tell them it's a good thing. It just means your body is doing what it's supposed to do and reacting to the spike protein. Now, in very elderly people, there were some reports that came out of Norway about um, uh, people um, over the age of 90 having some trouble with the vaccine. So the vaccine can give you some nausea, can give you um, some diarrhea in rare instances. And this seems to happen at you know, uh, people who are very elderly. So they, again, they're manageable side effects. They do need to be watched and, you know, if necessary, make, make sure they stay hydrated. Uh, there were a few deaths in um, nursing homes and in hospice patients who had didn't want any additional care. And it happened in the setting of the COVID vaccine. It's not clear if it was really the vaccine or just um, where there was really side effects of the vaccine or progression of their underlying disease. But, you know, this happened very early on in the vaccination campaign. It caused a little bit of anxiety. So it's really arm pain, fatigue, fevers. Headaches. Headaches, short-lived, like you said. And then um, what about, I heard, I think I read a report, there was a physician in Florida that died and they thought ITP, which is in, for the listeners who are not physicians or healthcare uh, providers, it's an immune process that destroys the platelets in the body. I don't know if you saw that report. I'm not sure if it was causation, correlation, but the, the individual was pretty young physician. I did. And there have been now a handful of cases of ITP reported after the mRNA vaccines. It seems like it is an autoimmune phenomenon. And um, um, this there was one death. Most other people have recovered, but it is uh, it has been reported. Now, ITP has also been reported with other vaccines. Uh, one vaccine in particular is the MMR vaccine. Uh, usually it's given to young children. They don't have a problem, but when an adult gets it, ITP has been anecdotally reported with it. Uh, very, very, very rare uh, condition. Um, uh, so we've given about 50 million doses of vaccine in this country alone. And there've been, uh, as far as I know, six cases of ITP. Mm -hmm. So yes, it can happen. But remember, this is a massive campaign. When you, when you do something sure. frequently, uh, you're going to see these, uh, these uh, side effects. And we're not even sure that they're side effects. You know, it could be coincidence too. Do you, do you recommend to patients to get, they're going to get, let's say, first dose or second dose to and take Advil, Tylenol, anything they should do, or just kind of wait it out and see what happens? I tell them to play it by ear because it's hard to predict how bad your side effects will be. So you don't, it's recommended that you not take anything ahead of time before you get the vaccine. After you get the vaccine, if you start feeling really achy, you can take the Advil or Tylenol then. I wouldn't recommend taking it 
prophylactically ahead of time. Uh, have you ever needed to give anyone steroids uh, for the, I mean, well, I know we don't like to give steroids because of the immune system, but sometimes, you know, has it been like significant problems that so, steroids? Yeah. So, you know, there is an issue with anaphylaxis with these vaccines. Again, very, very uncommon. Um, the first, the, during the uh, trials, there were no cases of anaphylaxis at all. And then when we started ramping up vaccination, we started hearing about these reports. It appears that with the Moderna vaccine, it's about two per million doses of vaccine. But Pfizer initially was thought to be around 11 per million. Now they think it's about five per million. So again, very, very rare. And what it seems to be is an allergic reaction to uh, not the vaccine itself, but a, that fatty molecule that I talked about wrapped around the mRNA. People are reacting to that fatty substance. It's called polyethylene glycol. And it's in a lot of injectable medications, actually. Um, so if you've ever reacted with severe allergies, anaphylaxis to an injectable medication, you should make sure you tell the person at the vaccination clinic that you're going to. And most of these severe allergic reactions happen shortly after vaccination. So they will want you to stay at the vaccination site and be observed for 30 minutes. If you do have a reaction, um, you can get epinephrine, you can get steroids, you can get other types of antihistamines to, um, uh, to treat the reaction, and you, it is reversible. But that's uh, what you need to do. Other types of reactions, sort of, you know, severe itching or decaria that you need um, steroids for outside of the xenophylaxis are very, very unusual. So is there a reason to think that Moderna and Pfizer, one is easier tolerated than another, or like literally it's a flip of a coin? It's a definitely a flip of a coin between the two. It's better tolerated. The Moderna vaccine is better tolerated by the health system simply because you don't have all the stringent storage requirements. It's easier for the healthcare system to store the vaccine um, and reconstitute it compared to the Moderna vaccine. But to the individual getting the vaccine, there's really no difference at all. Okay, so let's move on to J&J &J because we're taping this, like I said, March 1st, but literally uh, a day or two ago, it was an EUA for J&J. That's a little bit different than Moderna and Pfizer. What, what, what's the J&J &J one? So the J&J vaccine is what we call a viral vector vaccine. So um, the same genetic material that I talked about uh, for the mRNA vaccines, it's, this is DNA. The DNA from the coronavirus that makes the spike protein is put into another virus, a harmless virus, an adenovirus. Uh, and this adenovirus is then injected into you. Once in the body, similarly, the uh, gen genetic material comes out of this uh, adenovirus, which is just sort of the, the envelope carrying the uh, genetic material. This genetic material does go into the nucleus uh, and then becomes the DNA gets converted into mRNA, which then makes the same spike protein that the other vaccines made and uh, stimulates your immune system. So hmm. this, yeah, this, the adenovirus itself cannot replicate, it cannot cause any problems in you. And um, a lot of us have been, you know, the adenovirus causes things like the, the cold, it can cause conjunctivitis. This particular strain of the adenovirus is harmless to humans. 
So that's the one that gets internalized. Mm-hmm. And then it produces the mRNA. It, pre- it carries the DNA from the coronavirus. The DNA makes the mRNA in your body and then makes the spike. Right. So is, let's talk about efficacy of that one. Anything special about in terms of, because that's a one-shot deal, right? So everybody, want, you know, I get one shot, it's much better. I mean, I, I'd rather take one shot if I can. Yeah, so the, the study that formed the basis for the uh, approval was a one-shot study. Now, there is another study that's still ongoing that's looking at two, two doses of that vaccine. So this vaccine, uh, we talked about 95% uh, efficacy for Moderna and Pfizer. This vaccine on first look looks like it might be inferior because it has about 72% efficacy. So preventing all coronavirus infections, if 100 people got the vaccine, 72% wouldn't get coronavirus, uh, the others would. But when you look again at the uh, severe infections, it is about 85% effective. And remember, we talked about how, you know, the definitions for severe aren't very uh, similar in the studies. So then they looked at people who require, who were ill enough to require hospitalization. And that it was about 95% effective. And then when you looked at uh, deaths from the vaccine, similarly, it was about um, um, uh, 95 to 100% effective. So again, it does what you're most worried about. It protects you against the worst consequences of infection. Right. Now, yeah. And remember also that this vaccine was studied after all these variants that you hear about were circulating wa- widely. So the good news is that it, it retained its efficacy against the South African strain. The study was done in the U.S., uh, Brazil, and in um, South Africa, and it was effective against the South African strain. All the deaths in the study actually happened in South Africa in the people who got the placebo. Adverse events for the J&J? Very similar, other than the allergic reactions. We, again, in the study, there weren't any major adverse events. The events, the adverse reactions seemed to be somewhat milder than with the mRNA vaccines. And it was the similar side effects, headaches, muscle pains, arm pain, lower incidence of fever with this vaccine than with the mRNA vaccines. Now, we alluded to AstraZeneca a little bit, and you mentioned it's not did not apply for EUA in the U.S. Is there, I mean, are you aware of a reason why AstraZeneca chose just to go EU and outside the U.S. versus the biggest market out there, which is the U.S.? So I think that there were already, you know, two vaccines. The U.S. had invested heavily in Moderna and Pfizer already, and so um, we already had a lot of our vaccine pre-orders filled with these vaccines. Johnson & Johnson is another vaccine that's being manufactured in the U.S., so I'm not sure exactly why AstraZeneca did include the U.S. in in their study, but since they already are how struggling to keep up with the demand, I, I think they've chosen not to. Maybe they thought it's just a busy market. Okay, this is nice out, outline of everything, but I wanna talk about a few important questions pertaining to these vaccines. So the first question that comes to mind, first of all, not everybody wants to get the vaccine. I mean, I think we have a lot of stats, you pick and choose which survey you, you want, and, but it's fair to say that uh, there's there is some skepticism about 
the vaccines. And I think the reason for skepticism, skepticism vary. Are you surprised by the fact why there is still a large percentage of people, including healthcare workers, who don't want to get the vaccine, despite the toll that this pandemic has had on the U.S. population? No, I'm not surprised. So unfortunately, especially in this country, over the last few years, we've had a very strong anti-vaccine movement. So I have seen diseases that I didn't expect to see. You know, we've had measles outbreaks in this country. We've had mumps outbreaks in this country because of the um, uh, lack of uh, uh, vaccination. And it's people just choosing not to be vaccinated because they are afraid. They think that it's more holistic to get the disease than to get vaccinated. So we started out with this you know, population that wasn't uh, as receptive to vaccines as you would hope. The other thing is that COVID itself, people, there are still people out there who, thinks, who think that it is uh, a hoax, that it's not really as bad as it's made out to be. I, I don't understand it, but people genuinely believe that it's not as bad as people make it out to be. So when you take those two things together, I'm not, you know, 60% of people wanting to get the vaccine is actually a good thing. So you think, because we talk, we hear a lot about herd immunity, which is going to come either from infection or the vaccine, right? I mean, these are the two ways. You think 60% would get us where we need to be to go back to normal? I, I think we need, especially with the new variants, we need higher. And I think that as time goes on, I am hearing more and more that the vaccine skeptics are coming around. So as they see um, their call, you know, especially in healthcare, when you see your colleagues getting vaccinated and that the sense of relief and um, that comes with it, the peace of mind that comes with it, they're seeing that their colleagues, you know, had minor side effects, but they're all doing well. So slowly the uptake, at least in healthcare, is increasing. And then the people who really um, need the vaccine, people who are elderly, people in nursing homes, people with underlying conditions are coming forward to get it. So between that and between the fact that, you know, the people who don't believe in vaccines, who don't um, want to wear masks, have maybe gotten infected already, uh, just due to their behavior. So when you add up the people who been infected and the people who have been vaccinated, I'm hoping we'll be able to get to 80% and herd immunity. Priya, you, you, you mentioned a couple of times the variants, and that was my next question, because um, I'll admit I'm concerned about the variants. I, just, I don't feel we know enough about them. Um, but is it, I mean, should I be concerned that only J&J is going to work against the variants? I mean, why, why should we think that Pfizer and Moderna vaccine work against the variants? We have no data on that. That's true. We don't have uh, enough data. And that's why the pace of the vaccination program is very, very important. The faster we can get a huge number of people in this country vaccinated, the safer we all are. So the, vac the virus mutates every time it infects somebody. It's making copies of itself in the human body. And, you know, it's kind of like copying out a sheet written in longhand. Every time you make a copy, there's a small chance for errors. And when you're making copies in thousands of people, there's going to be more and more errors. And that's how you get a new 
uh, variant. So if we get a lot of people vaccinated, protected, there's less chance that the virus will be mutating. There's less chance that these mutants will get a foothold in our population. And that's going to be the answer. Now, eventually, they're probably you know, when you get enough people vaccinated, the only uh, the only people who are uh, the only vaccine strains will be the majority will be these variants. And by then, though, we would have bought enough time to potentially a lot of um, uh, companies are looking to make booster doses. So Moderna is looking at the third dose, which would include the variants. And so you would then get a booster dose and you'd be protected. Is there a reason why you like, let's say, you got the first two Moderna shots. Do you have to stick with Moderna for the booster? Can you get the Pfizer for the booster or J&J for booster? Or we don't know. We don't know yet. So because the vaccines are EUA, the rules are very strict. If you got Pfizer, you have to stick with Pfizer. But as we learn more, I think, and as the vaccine gets full approval, uh, we probably could mix and match. And, you know, some countries have chosen to go that route. Like in uh, UK, they're getting everybody vaccinated with one vaccine. And then they said, we'll see what happens when we, you know, when it's time for the second dose, we'll give you what we have. It's interesting what you said about if you have the pace of the vaccination fast, that could overcome the mutation or the variants. But my concern is, and I know this is another concern of, of yours as well as others who are interested in global health, is that we don't live in isolation, right? We, we you know, many people in the Middle East, in India, in Africa are not being vaccinated to the same degree. And people travel. So how do you, like, how do we control that piece unless we're able to vaccinate the globe, which I, I don't think, I don't see that happening. I mean, it's just impossible. So, you know, truly, we do need to vaccinate the globe. And, uh, and clearly, we're not going to be able to vaccinate at the pace that's necessary. I think eventually we will. So I think there will need to be some precautions taken when you travel. I think that what we're now asking that everybody who enters the U.S. be tested for coronavirus before they board their flights. I think some form of testing. So vaccination isn't the only tool we have. We now are able to test. We understand how the virus spreads. So we're, you know, we're, we're promoting masking. So the vaccination isn't gonna make our life go back to where it was in 2019, but I think it's gonna make us all safer. And I think combine that with testing and with some quarantine, if you're coming from certain hotspots, uh, between that, we can prevent these huge outbreaks. We, we probably still will have isolated, you know, limited transmission um, going on. The other question I had for you, and I see that circulating on social media sometimes, although I'm, I'm less present on social media right now, it gives me high blood pressure, but... Um, there's like two schools of thought, and they sometimes, they often collide in a friendly way and sometimes in an unfriendly way. One school of thought says, even if you're vaccinated, you need to wear masks, social distance, the, the, the whole gamut that you were doing before. And the other school of thought would say, well, if I'm going to vaccinate and still do exactly the same, why did I really vaccinate? The whole idea of vaccination is to hopefully return to normal. So what do you tell people? Because, I mean, I think, you know, they get disheartened when they are vaccinated and they've endured the full year of everything and they want to spend time with their loved ones and everything. But then, 
they hear mixed messaging. I mean, I think that's the best way to describe. An expert like yourself can clarify this. What, what are your thoughts? So I have some personal views. I think that uh, vaccination right now is really a privilege and we should treat it as such. You know, there's so many people waiting in line for vaccine. So the, those who are vaccinated still can't uh, say I'm vaccinated. I no longer need to wear a mask. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go out and party like it was like it was 2019. I don't think that's um, that's fair to those who haven't been vaccinated. Now, when you're vaccinated, if you're perfectly healthy, you have a strong immune system, you are unlikely to get COVID and die from COVID. Uh, there's still a 5% chance you could get COVID and pass it on to others. And then there's the other component that we don't know enough about. Can you, if you're vaccinated, can you get the virus and be completely asymptomatic because you're vaccinated and still pass it on to others? So for those two reasons, we are still recommending that people mask when they're out uh, in public, when they're in, especially when they're in enclosed spaces. If you are vaccinated and you have four people in your social circle who are also vaccinated, you can get together with those four people and not mask. So I think that, you know, there, is, there are some things that you can relax. On. That's really important. That, is, that last piece, I do think it's really important. I think if you're vaccinated and you have a vaccinated friend or a family member, I think it's okay to give that friend a hug. Yes. I mean, you're both vaccinated, right? I mean, but I, I appreciate you clarifying this because I do still see sometimes folks saying, it doesn't matter, you can be vaccinated, the other person could be vaccinated, there's still a 1% chance of something. Well, there's always 1% chance of something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And now if both of you are vaccinated, yes, you still could get COVID, but again, you're not going to become very ill from COVID, you're not going to die from COVID. And I think that, that knowing you can do that helps. Um, traveling, again, it gives you peace of mind. If you have a loved one who is ill somewhere far away from you, you want to get on a plane to go see that person, it, you know, you can do it feeling relatively safe. Uh, you can also feel relatively safe that you're not going to bring COVID to your loved one. So that that's the other benefit of being vaccinated. For those people who have to go to work, uh, people in healthcare, for people who work in the front line, you know, we talked a lot about people in grocery stores, how they were essential workers. Being vaccinated will be an enormous relief to them knowing that they can go to work and they're not going to come home with COVID and, and, and die of COVID. Um, My other question, Priya, is children. I, you know, I'm not going to go into the school issue. I think everybody knows my views on that. But I think it's, uh, you know, I think, and I think, honestly, I still think most people would agree that uh, schools could be open safely. But um, children, do we, do we have data on vaccinating children? And fast forward, I don't know, six months from now, or maybe in a year from now, do you see children to have mandatory vaccination to be in schools? What, just what do, what do you speculate? Yeah, so the, the, uh, all these vaccine manufacturers are now enrolling children and they're actually recruiting children very quickly to their studies. So I think that by the end of the year, we, we will have data on uh, vaccinating children. And I think that very likely it will be a requirement for school. Uh, we know that children, for the most part, with some exceptions, don't get very sick from COVID. 
but they can transmit to others. So getting them vaccinated will be, again, one additional thing we do to mitigate this pandemic. Okay, what else should we talk about? I think we described the Moderna, the Pfizer, the J&J. We talked about AstraZeneca a little bit. We talked about the Chinese and the Russian one to the extent that we know. Uh, and then we talked about side effects, efficacy, and a couple of questions pertaining to children. I think you alluded to pregnant women, and you we agreed. That's another a question I get a lot during pregnancy. Should I get the vaccine? Yeah. So it's a very personal choice because pregnant women were not included in the trials. Based on how the vaccines work, the mRNA vaccines and the um, uh, viral vector vaccine should be safe in pregnancy. We know that uh, during pregnancy, if you get COVID, outcomes are much worse uh, than if you were non-pregnant. So that's a good reason to get the vaccine. Um, and then, you know, you really need to look at local demographics, the local situation, see whether there is enough cases and uh, where in your pregnancy yeah. you are. And there may be some people who make a choice not to get it, but um, our recommendation is you should strongly consider getting it. And the American Society of Gynecology and Obstetrics has also come out with that statement. What do you say to a person who says, I heard all of this, I get it. We don't have data on long-term adverse events. Um, they wouldn't be lying. I mean, the most, I mean, whichever trial you would choose, the median follow-up is, um, is certainly short by all standard uh, that you look at. How would you respond to somebody who says, I understand what you're saying, but I need longer-term follow-up in order to feel comfortable? So it's true. We don't have the long-term follow-up. The most we have is maybe four or five months uh, with these vaccines. In that time period, it certainly seems like it's very safe. You know, we are in the midst of a pandemic. We know some things about COVID, including the fact that you can have serious complications immediately from COVID, including death. You can also have about 10% of people who get COVID have what's called long COVID, these lingering symptoms after the initial infection. And it isn't actually related to the severity of initial infections. You can have a mild case of COVID and then just have the uh, loss of smell, the loss of taste that can persist for months. You can have fatigue that persists for months. So you balance that against potential side effects longer term from the vaccine and you have to make a you know individual choice for what risk you're willing to take um, uh, dealing with covid and the possible complications uh, or um, complications from the vaccine and you can be very very careful you can you know mask not um, go out very much um, and, you know, it's still, you, you do need to leave the house eventually, and you could be exposed to COVID. So you have yeah. to decide what you want to do. That is really fair. I mean, I think, you know, we're acknowledging the shorter term follow up, but it's risk versus benefits, right? I mean, I think if somebody feels somehow their risk is much higher, they probably will abstain, although it's hard to believe that, uh, why the risk would be higher. It's, it appears to be very safe. Mm -hmm. Anything I should have asked you about, Priya, pertaining to vaccine that you think really is relevant to listeners that I may have just overlooked or, or forgot? 
You know, I don't think the vaccines are the end of the pandemic, but they're certainly the beginning of the end. And um, I would just like all your list listeners to seek out vaccine when they can, to roll up their sleeve when it's their turn, talk to people around them, encourage them to get vaccinated. And while we're waiting for herd immunity, keep wearing your mask, keep the social distancing going. It's getting easier as the weather improves, but... Um, so are we going to go back to normal or to new normal? I think new normal. I Oh, no, no. So let me explain what new normal is. So, you know, one thing, the silver lining to this pandemic has been no flu, no flu. <laughs> handful of cases of flu in the country. And that's, you know, yes, we vaccinated, but we vaccinate every year. Uh, but we had remarkable decreases in flu because of masking. So I think that when flu cold season comes around, we're all going to be wearing masks. I think uh, so too. And that'll be the new normal. But in between, in the summer, we'll be outdoors. We'll be eating. We'll be. We may not. Are go you? Are you? Are you gonna always wear? I, I tell you, I'm like fifty-fifty on this. I may end up wearing a mask all the time on a plane. Uh, so a plane is actually very safe in terms of just air circulation, uh, just because of the air exchanges and the way the air is HEPA filtered, I think a plane is actually very safe. But definitely when you're passing through the airport, when you're waiting in the lounge, et cetera, that would be a good idea. Well, we'll see. I think we'll have to see. Uh, Priya, I, I can't thank you enough. I know we're tipping this late on a Monday. You probably had a very long day at, at work. So I'm very appreciative. For listeners, this will air, I think, tomorrow is second line. We'll be airing on March 16th for context. So at least they they know when we're taping this. So if something happens between now and March 16th and a breakthrough, they realize we did not miss it. We just didn't tape at the time. All right. Thank uh, you so much. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening and for spending time with me and Dr. Priya Sampath Kumar discussing COVID-19 vaccines. I would like to know what you think of this podcast, and I would like for you to provide some feedback. To do so, you can email me at shadinabhan00 at outlook.com, or you can send me a direct message on Twitter at shadinabhan. That's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N. You can visit my website, www.shadinabhan.com. Message me through there and check out all features on that uh, website. And of course, please subscribe, <clears throat> rate, review, and refer a friend or a colleague to the show. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying from Isaac Newton. Truth is ever to be found in simplicity and not in the multiplicity and confusion of things. Until next time, take care.